Hey folks, welcome to the Unsung Podcast, I'm Mark I'm Chris, I'm a folk as well You're folk, yeah So that just makes it us and you Us and me Oh man, I'm fucked <laughs> Well, you say that You look pretty handy I'm not No? <laughs> I'm wiry Takes a take a pound in, but that's it <laughs> That beard would like cushion your jaw It does I wonder if they factor that into boxing I mean, The margins are so fine, you know If you actually have a big bushy beard And you really work hard at getting it nice and curly It must, it must take some pound per square inch off Even if it's only a fraction It yeah. could be enough could You don't even enough. know where to aim Because you think the jaw was like here But it's not, you know you Why are they no doing it? Why are they not just overgrown? Maybe, Maybe there's, a, there's probably a, a law against that rule a law against that rule. A law against that rule. It's <laughs> <laughs> yep. probably a guideline to advise about the law against the yeah, rule. Totally. As well. um, thank you for not leaving us after our, our festival show last week. Good show, man. I like that show. Um, it's one of those ones where you hold your breath because tackle a couple of issues. You know, the festival's going out of business. The thing with Billy and Mates. Interestingly, I was in work today, and uh, one of the guy, Alex, he's um, he's in his sixties. I think he's now sixty-one. And an, another another woman is a friend of his who works there as well, and she's a little bit older too. Don't know why she is. Haven't asked. It's not a nice thing to do. <laughs> but she's a bit older, and she, but she really likes like OG punk as well. And she likes Billy and Mates, and so does so does Alex. Like I, I think they're really good. Uh, he didn't see it in Glasgow, but she did, and she was like, I don't understand what all the fuss was for. I thought she was great. Yeah, like I said in the show, I thought she was fine. Yeah, it's like music came across just. Some people don't like that element of performance, and I can't understand that as well. Mm-hmm. I think we're, I think I'm glad that we did that, and hopefully we can do something a bit more extensive if, there's, if there are festivals next year, mm-hmm. which there may <laughs> not be. <laughs> if there's any left. Um, another thing that happened this week was the passing of Rick Froberg. Yes, Rick Froberg of Hot Snakes, Travelly Jehu, Obits, and a number of other bits and bobs. I've met Rick. He did an original piece of art um, for my work. We've got it on the wall. He was a very nice guy. He was a terrific musician. I, re- I honestly think he serves as something of a cornerstone for that entire kind of the overlap point of post hardcore and alternative rock. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh-huh. Drive Like Jehu in particular were a real unifying thing for a lot of musicians coming from different scenes. I know people going way, way back to the early 90s that were incredibly inspired by that band. And I think they're an obvious candidate. I mean, this is the problem. A lot of his product projects are obvious candidates. And Hot Snakes in particular, I have been reluctant to pull the trigger on simply because I couldn't decide which record. And that's for years now, because they were one of the first bands I wanted to cover. Well, we're just going to bite the bullet in memory of Rick. We will be doing an episode on Hot Snakes. Mm-hmm. And it'll actually be a controversial head-to-head episode. It'll be myself 
representing one album and Ferruccio the Doctor of Punk he returns finally he, re- he returns representing another Hot Snakes album and, and Mark the entire country of Italy <laughs> adjudicating um, and, you know I love that role yeah uh, settling the debt like, like King Solomon yeah cutting the baby in half I'm not going to have a complicated uh, system of checks, measures and balances like <laughs> for a Motley Crue and Kiss because <laughs> that worked so well yeah. <laughs> uh, we would have done it this week but uh, Ferro's a busy man and we really want to have him on this because he's a big fan of Rick Froberg's work and as you know if you've heard Ferruccio speak before he's an encyclopedia mm-hmm. of knowledge uh, I mean most encyclopedias have knowledge in them don't they? Yeah Are there I other mean, kinds of en- encyclopedia of cooking? Encyc- that's good knowledge isn't It's it? still knowledge yeah. I suppose eh? <laughs> An encyclopedia of phone numbers? That's a phone book Yeah it's like, can you call a phone book? It's not like a direct. It's a direct. What's that? That's a direct. Can you call like, a phone yeah. number? Knowledge. Yeah, I mean it is right. Anyway, <laughs> there you have it. That's what's coming up, and we're going to stick to it this time. So the first time in a while, we're able to go. By the way, we're do- we know what we're doing next week. <laughs> this is what we're doing. Now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so before we tell you what we're going to do this week, I want to do one little push for the record club. Yes, um, I, th- I believe we've added two or three new albums. We have. We've added some records. Uh, I've added a couple of punk bangers. Uh, one by Sunliner, um, who are a really good, a really cool Leeds based. Yeah, Leeds based from yeah. England on Lockjaw Records, which is a very nice record label. Mm-hmm. And the second record was by uh, Brutaligators. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm also trying to get my hands on it. <laughs> I've paid the money. <laughs> I just don't want the fucking record. He's a copy. <laughs> well, uh, I got in touch. I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to reach them, but I got in touch with a kind of avant-garde noise rock band from London called Faux, who I heard years ago on a phenomenal compilation called House of Stairs that had a lot of great bands, including some from our own fair city. Uh, and I've been a fan of them since. And they didn't do a lot of stuff, but they did do one very good record and that is now part of the record club. And if you're a member, you may well get that this mm. month. So uh, or you may get one of Mark's. Unlikely this month, probably the next <laughs> month. I've already sent it this month. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well in that case there you go. Um uh, but please uh join the record club because we have a lot of really good vinyl on there for the, yes. the analogue members. And if you don't want to be an analogue member you want to go with a digital one. We will be sending you multiple releases on a regular basis, including the odd bonus bought from the band or the labels direct so the money's all going to the people that can put it back into making new music or paying their credit card bills and you can even join the basic tier Uh, the basic tier will get you access to our extensive catalogue of bonus material as well as uh, an early listen to each episode and access to the AAA Facebook Facebook group group. which allows you to sort of directly impact upon the content of some of the episodes and suggest albums and things like that and that's four bucks a month and just to underline how fantastic that is this should be coming out on a Monday unless you're one of the special folk in which case you will be the recipient of a wonderful new subscribers only unsung episode dedicated to Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler in which uh, myself and especially Mark have a lot of fun talking about vampire musicals yes it's our second brush with Jim Steinman somehow yeah <laughs> in as many months which is utterly bizarre and won't be the last time either <laughs> no, definitely. we will at some point maybe have to get a Steinman alarm that could be a that thing that could be fun <laughs> that could be a thing anyway as I mentioned, Foe, the band from London on the record club now, only brought out one album. And hey-ho, there's a theme. Segway. Five this and a half month, years have been practising that one. Yeah. So this week, we have decided to do a one-band, one-album mixtape. Mm-hmm. One album wonder. Are we going for one album yeah. wonder? And my research, that is quite common parlance online. So. Okay. Well, now, we, now we've got a title. So I just want to lay out some ground rules for this, okay? I want to mention that we're trying to limit this to bands who seem to be done or are at least very inactive. 
okay, and not just bands that have one album out so far, because that would be an awful lot of people. Um, there are some categories that I managed to outline. The first one being bands who seem to be fully-fledged projects that just didn't last. The second category being spin-offs and collaborations who decided to put out an album. Uh, I would point out there's a fair bit of crossover between those because some of them it's hard to tell how much it was a dedicated project yeah. and how much it was just an idea that you know cropped up backstage at a festival mm. that grew arms and legs. Um, and then the third category uh, is a shorter one, but acts that changed their names either after or for one particular record. Yes. Mm. Okay, and there's a, there's actually a surprising number of those as well. One entertaining consequence of this was that a number of bands that I thought were potentially going to qualify for this didn't qualify for it. Mm-hmm. Quite a number of bands could have qualified, except they came back after a long period of time out of action and yes. took themselves out of the reckoning. So an immediate example that jumped into my head was American football. Mm-hmm. And they reformed in 2014. They could have been one, but they're not anymore. Another would be Desaparecidos, yeah. Conor Roberts' band. But they had a second post-Reformation record in 2015. That first record is fucking great, by the way. First record, was it Something Speak Spanish? Mm -hmm. Live Something Music Speak Spanish? Make Music Speak Spanish? Mm -hmm. Brilliant album. Really, really like it, yeah. Uh, Vicky has uh, interjected with a number of nominations for these various categories. One that she nominated for this Missed the Cut category are uh, The the Remains, or Barry and the Remains, as they were originally known, uh, with an album called The Remains. They were a garage band for Boston in the USA. They played with the Beatles and stuff. Their debut album was in 1966. And then in 2002, <laughs> they recorded and released their second album, which I think, quite amusingly, is titled Moving On. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe about time. <laughs> um, but yeah, The Remains uh, was a, a 36-year hiatus. Another one would have been uh, Death From Above, 1979, with yeah. You're a Woman, I'm a Machine, 2004 album. But then they decided inexplicably to release three more albums uh, from 2014 onwards. Uh, Vicky came in with another good one, uh, quite an obscure one. Jennifer Vashti Bunyan. Just another diamond day, just a blade of grass, just another bear of hay, and the horses pass. La, 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 la. You heard of Jennifer Vashti no. Bunyan. So she released an album called Just Another Diamond Day way back in 1970 and it was received very poorly, sold very poorly and then slowly became this cult hit over the years. I can actually see us maybe doing an episode on this because there's, there's quite a few that come up in the course of this episode that really jumped out as being things we should probably focus more on. So 
she then went on to release two more records from 2005 and then 2014. So that's a 35 year hiatus in her case. Wow. Yep. And uh, just to pull back one that we have spoken about on a previous episode, Cannibal Ox, uh, The Cold Vein came out in 2001 and then Blade of the Ronin came out in 2015. Yeah. I want to add to that, uh, a record that I almost picked as well, uh, Deltron 3030. Trash the whole computer system and revert to super papyrus. I wanna make a super virus strong enough to cause blackouts in every single metropolis. Cause they don't wanna unify us, so fuck it. Total anarchy and can nobody stop us. You see, late in which is Del Funky Homo Sapien, Dan the Automator, and Kid Koala, which is a, that record is fucking brilliant, man. A really good. Well, two album. of them are going to make an appearance later. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think yeah, Danny Otmere is quite he's quite well known for just doing one project and fucking off. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they released a second album called Part 2, something Part 2, I can't remember the full title, but Part in, in 2013, which was like 13 years after the first one came in 2000. Uh, okay, so there are there are a few lists online, uh, but I tried to augment some of the more interesting parts of those lists with uh, some slightly more niche stuff. Again, the, there's various contributions from yourself, myself, and Vicky, mm-hmm. Mark. Um, I'm sure Ferruccio would have had loads to contribute to this as well, but mm-hmm. the show would probably have stretched over two episodes if we'd asked him. Now, what's going to happen is Mark and I have picked three albums each. They don't necessarily correspond to the categories, but we'll just occasionally dip out and talk about one each, okay? And these are ones that we're going to focus in a wee bit more on. We'll explain why. But the contenders... Uh, in this case, Category 1, the bands who seemed like they were fully-fledged projects that just didn't last for one reason or another. Sex Pistols. Yeah. Never mind the bollocks. I mean, they've got to be one of the most famous examples of this phenomenon, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh-huh. I think, you know, as I was growing up and listening to punk music, it, until you until you actually get your hands on the music, you, you kind of, it feels as though that, it always felt to me that Sex Pistols were more than one album band, because yeah. they had a whole, whole bunch of odds and ends that came out afterwards as well. Which I think has made up another album, not a, not an official album, like a compilation almost. Like Sid Vicious doing "My Way," for example, is one of the songs on on that. I can't even remember the name of it, but it's been done so many different times in different ways. There's a something train robbery. Yeah, I think it's that. Yeah. <laughs> God, there's so many things we're not remembering. To be honest, I'm not just not a sex pistol. Yeah, same. But like, like, they're so ever present in punk, right? That you think there's a lot of it, but there's not. And that's kind of, I guess, that maybe lends itself a little bit to the appeal. Yeah, I mean, it's it it must have been a pretty febrile band in terms of keeping it together, anyway. So the the egos, the 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 chaos, the fact they were thrown together as a bit of a project, anyway, by McLaren and the the entire scene around it as well. It was it would have been very hard. To mm-hmm. keep it together for any length of time, even if, if Sid wasn't a fucking maniac and hadn't done what he did. Yeah. Um, okay, some others, I mean, sticking on a punk till uh, Operation Ivy. Operation Ivy, yeah. Legendary, legendary record, um, regarded by many as the best ska record of all time. Ska punk record, which is of all time. an oxymoron. 
yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Um, but Tim and Matt went on to form Rancid, much, much bigger project, much more interesting band, more diverse band. They have a whole ska record, which is actually, a ska record's go really good. It's actually ska and reggae and dub, Life Won't, uh, Life Won't Wait. It's a really good, really good album. But yeah, it's amazing that again, another record, which if you if you come from a certain kind of punk scene, has got a massive, massive legacy. And you're always going to go, oh, I wish there was, I thought there was always, I always thought there was more of that. I never was. No. The Germs, uh, G.I., was their only studio album. Now, I actually never had that by The Germs. I had a live album called Live at the Whiskey, Whiskey A Go Go. Waitress! We're The Germs! We want beer! Uh, we had Darby Crash. I'm guessing was absolutely fucked his bin because the the record was mental, um, but yeah, uh, the Germs, GI. Um, there are, I mean, I think there's a few other ones. Was it X-ray Specs? I, I can't remember how many they had, but mm-hmm. they're not on my list here. Uh, jumping uh, into rap and hip hop, uh, Convicts by Convicts, 1991 on Def Jam. She just sits on the bed and stiff Why tell her go back to the nigga you had last year Cause I don't give a fuck about a bitch Last on the list she can suck a nigga Familiar? I'm not familiar with that one, no Yep, it's, a, it's on a lot of lists uh, Let's go across to some emo New end original thriller by our man Jonah Better to Yeah, um, not just that, but also gratitude. And then shake her pulse and give her air. And then listen and breathe and keep checking and checking and checking her hearts. Gratitude as well. as well. Absolutely. Um, I think one that's better than the other. I think he would probably agree that New End Original is better than Gratitude. So I think he, he was quite open when we interviewed him all those years ago that Gratitude never quite came off the way that he hoped it would. He thought it was going to be the big major label Jimmy World style record and the, the mix and the master and production and the promotion never really quite got it to where it was supposed to go. Yeah, do you think that not fulfilling its potential is what ultimately derailed that project? Because it did seem like they had really big ambitions for that project. Yeah, no, I think there were some other members from famous bands in it, not just him as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, there were. The guitarist ended up leaving when I saw them live. There was a four-piece and Jonah was playing guitar, which originally he didn't play. He just sang on that re- on that record. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it did seem to go down the Swanee quite quickly. Swanee, going down the Swanee is quite a nice phrase, isn't it? Welcome back. Um, Young Marble Giants, Colossal Youth. A band with a really big legacy for sort of your obscure indie fans, you know, people that go to monorail, that kind of thing. Yeah, Young Wapple Giants, which was quite an influence on Shu Ying, which was the... Oh, um, she, yeah, yeah. Uh, from our, for our interview Yeah, episode. for the interview we did on music and altern- alternative, alternative culture, culture in, in China. China yeah. Uh, here's one that surprised me, the Laz. Oh. Yeah. There she goes. Um, I actually thought that... I don't know why I thought this, that John Power sang in the Laz. He didn't sing in the Laz. He played guitar in the Laz, but he sang in cast 
which he went on to form clearly. Um, but yeah, the Laz only had that one record, that that kind of famous cover as well. Um, one that was suggested to me um, by Jamie Sturt um, of Atlas Empire, a musical acquaintance and friend in Glasgow, was uh, Lift to Experience in the album The Texas Jerusalem Crossroads. You heard these Never guys? Heard of them, no. I remember uh, right back at the turn of the century, maybe just prior. They were sort of big and doing this kind of weird countryish post rock arty thing. They were very eccentric. They were very religious, right? So the Texas Jerusalem Crossroads was a double album, a double album mm-hmm. about the second coming of Jesus. Right, so your only album mm-hmm. is a double album. I mean, there's loads of really interesting things about the band. They actually, pro- again, probably met at an episode. They signed to Bella Union after them seeing just one really? show. Um, Simon Ramond was so blown away by it that he signed them after that one gig. They did. They had a lot of interesting equipment. They used a Leslie speaker, which is like a spinning, rotating speaker thing. Sound amazing. Cool. Um, as I say, intensely religious people with a bit of a reputation for that from the, the American South. Um, I remember a friend of mine saw them live in Edinburgh at the venue and they had a giant fan at the back of the stage with lights and stuff said it was a really amazing show like really interesting to look at another one uh, maybe some pound store core here for you mm-hmm. uh, the new radicals maybe you've been brainwashed too yeah don't give up you got the music in mm-hmm. ya a Jamie Oliver uh, advert waiting to happen isn't it? yeah it's like the song which was so popular it incensed Marlon Manson <laughs> Is that true? Yeah Wow He was raging it. that I called him out on, the, on this one song He said he'd kick his ass on the song He says Courtney Love and Marlon Manson Come all up I'll kick your asses Does he? Yeah That 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 incensed That's Mr. some Mr. wild smack talking That could have ended up like Biggie and Tupac Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The guy for that band was like What are you doing mate? It's just a fucking song <laughs> uh, So that came out in 1998 That was our only album uh, they, they, they peaked too they, soon They peaked Yeah they, 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 What were they going to do after that um, One that you brought up Rates of Spring By Rates of Spring Guy Pichotto and Brendan Canty A fucking classic record that Really good. Big fucking legacy, that album, yeah. Yeah, there's probably uh, another couple of ones I can chuck in there. Cap Jazz. Schmap and Schmaz. Yeah, Schmap and or, or its full title, yeah. Burritos, Inspiration Point, Fork Balloon Sports, Cards in the Spokes, Automatic Biographies, Kites, Kung Fu, Trophies, Banana Peels We've Slipped On and Eggshells We've Tippy-Toed Over uh, from 1995. I mean, basically they only released one album because they ran out of fucking words. Yeah, that was much. it. Uh-huh. Like, did they just use all the potential album titles in the one title? I think so. And then their compilation of all their stuff is called Alphabet Anology, Alphabet Anthology, Alphabet An Anthology, something. It's a really long title, which is kind of similar in the vein of that. We could also probably chuck in Minor Threat. Minor Threat, yep, absolutely. Which is quite obvious now you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and Embrace, too. Uh, the, the, the American Embrace, the, the one we, <laughs> McKay, not the English band. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of bands popping in and out of existence in their early days. 
so many Glasgow bands have only released one album because they didn't last that long. The thing is, they didn't then go on to form a famous band that then retroactively made all their previous bands famous mm-hmm. and therefore all those previous albums yeah, acquired the probably. status that they probably wouldn't have otherwise. You know, Herbert Powell from Glasgow, very good underground alternative band here. You know, if they then go on to form the next minor threat, Fugazi, whatever, then I'm sure it'll shine a big fuck off light on their earlier one. Yeah, uh-huh. um, but uh, I mean, although Taylor did do Kingdom of Scotland. Which is a banger You haven't heard it Seek it out Just cut it in here Yeah Um, I want to add You talked about hip hop there There's one one thing that Is kind of side project That's definitely a side project Watch the throne Kanye West and Jay-Z Popping bottles, putting supermodels in the cat. 2011 album. Oh, yeah. It was like the the mega powers handshake. Yeah, fucking hell. (laughs) Um, There's there's been rumours for years they probably have done enough material for another album. I don't think they've ever got together to do it. And it seems quite unlikely now at this point, (laughs) Um, given how off the reservation Mr. West has went. But. Uh, one from back in that kind of similar era to Minor Threat and, and Embrace and stuff is Scratch Acid. Brought out the record Just Keep Eating in 86. That's David Joe and David Williams Sims, I think it is, uh, of Jesus Lizard. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's, it's a pretty cult album in itself. And around about that same time, you would have had Rape Man. Rape Man, uh huh. That's um, a good show. Steve Albini's Rape Man, uh, which we have spoken about and explained many times on the show before, including his uh, contriteness regarding the <laughs> name and where the name came from, a Japanese uh, comic book character, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Rape Man, one album. Now, you'd actually ask me how many of the grunge bands are qualified. A really, really big one would have been Mother Love Bone and the Apple album that came out in 1990 because just as that album came out, Andrew Wood died of an overdose, thereby ending the project. But that did then lead to the, the very fucking famous Temple of the Dog album in yeah. 1991, Chris Cornell singing and a kind of host of stars involved in this kind of tribute album to Andrew Wood. But I can feed all the powerless when my cup's already Another one though from the, from the grunge era is Green River and the, the album Rehab Dolls. That's a band that featured Stone Gossard, Mark Arm and Jeff Ament. Take one down, pass it around. Take one down, 
So you've got Pearl Jam and Mudhoney there, like the the, yeah. the kernel of those. Um, and Green River was uh, debatably the first of the grunge movement. We've got a grunge mixtape. Please go back and listen to it. It was actually really good fun. It was done live. Um, but we talked about that kind of proto grunge, and Green River were really right there at the start of it. Um, some slightly older ones. Let's see the Monks, Black Monk Time from 1966. That pure m- ferocious garage rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a sound that I think was really, really influential in a lot of bands. Um, the United States of America by the United States of America from 1968. This is actually an, an album that could warrant an episode as well. Really influential, sort of early Kraut rock electronic stuff mm. It was in the same kind of scene as Silver Apples But people like that uh, You had Dennis Wilson He of the uh, Beach of Boys uh, He brought out Pacific Ocean Blues in 1977 uh, you had The Modern Lovers This is one that Vicky suggested as well The Modern Lovers by The Modern Lovers Produced by John Cale uh, At the keyboard this actually went on to be in Talking Heads And the drummer joined the cars Oh cool um, Lauren Hill the miseducation of Lauren, of Lauren Hill, yeah, 1998. That was our only. Incredible to think that's our only record. It's it? mental, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely fucking mental. And one from Scotland that I think deserves a shout: "A Life Without Buildings, Any Other City" from 2001. <laughs> This is an album that should have its own episode uh, as well. It's a very fucking good next wave of post-punk, art-punk sort of stuff. A lot of people owe a considerable debt to it. Mm-hmm. One that we can't forget, Mark, the Postal Service. Give up. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge Def Cab for Cutie fan, but that is a good record. The sort of skittering electronica, the more kind of laid back nature of it. It's a really, it's a really interesting The thing is, albeit it's not the biggest album in the world, it has an awful lot of imitators. Yes, it's a massively influential record. Yeah, it? so it's, you know, as much as I don't necessarily want to devote a week of my life to the postal service, it would probably warrant an episode. Uh, it wasn't just Ben Gibbard of Death Cab as well. It had Jenny Lewis of Rilo Kiley, mm. who were also a pretty like pretty highly rated band. Uh, that was two thousand and three that came out. I've I got sh- a couple I can add to that. Please do. 
from the Chicago general scene that I really like that spawned Lifetime and Rise Against and stuff like that um, Arma and Jealous I think we brought this up in the episode on Lifetime just when we were talking about bands that had members that go on to form bigger bands from that scene that had Pete Wentz in it Still has technically if they're still going and do when they do the occasional reform uh, reformation show. Joe Troman from Fallout Boy, Patrick Stump from Fallout Boy, Tim from Rise Against, and Andy from Fallout. Basically, all of Fallout Boy were in this band at one point. They were a metalcore band, couldn't have been further away. Was that in our uh, supergroup episode? As yeah, well? yeah, it was a band before Fallout Boy. We're also known as Novena. I guess they must have all kind of came and played in the same band, and they're like, actually, let's go and form a, another band instead. Um, the Killing Tree. Which was a side project with Tim from Rise Against and a guy called uh, Todd Mahoney, who would later go on to play in Rise Against with Mr. Precision from 88 Fingers Lay and Jeff Rowe from Baxter as well. And my favourite personally of the lot is a, is a Dan Yemen project from Lifetime and Kid Dynamic called Armalite. Album's called Unfinished Business, and it's really fun. And it, it was like a fully formed band. Like this is not just a side project. Yeah, I mean, all the things he's ever done were started off as kind of fully formed bands, and then okay. after a while. Well, there's plenty more to go. Uh, here's a big hitter: Jeff Buckley and Grace. Jeff Buckley's Grace, 1994. Um, and it's a technicality because he does have was it sketches for my sweetheart the drunk and a whole bunch of other bits and bobs, um, a lot of which came out posthumously. But Jeff Buckley only released one full studio album uh, properly, and that was Grace. Um, now there's a few that I added to this as well that obviously were a bit too antisocial to be on many of the lists. Uh, Rodan they brought out Rusty. Rodan were part of this movement in kind of post-hardcore from uh, Tennessee. I say post-hardcore, kind of post-rock as well. It's kind of slinty, a lot of it, but a bit heavier. Uh, also, that band featured Jason Noble and Jeff Mueller of The Shipping News and June of 44. And a lot of bands sound like this band and don't know it. Or they did sound like this band, if you know what I mean. Yeah. There was, especially like places like Dundee, there was a really big scene for this stuff. And I don't know if a lot of those people always knew where that was coming from. They they sometimes got it via its second iteration, the late nineties, early two thousands sort of scene. But um yeah, they were they were doing a really interesting thing back then. Um Shorty. Uh, with the album Thumb Days, Shorty were like a really caustic noise rock band fronted by Al Johnson, uh, who went on to be in US Maple. Uh, 
A band that I really hope we'll cover at one point because they're fucking nuts. Um, actually, Shorty also featured Mark Shippey of US Maple. Mental band with some very questionable song titles, but also some absolutely fucking brilliant videos. Um, the video for Coopy and Me. If you've never seen it, go and watch it. Mm. Coopy and Me by Shorty. My God, the things you can do on a budget. Mm-hmm. Um, the Murder of Rosa Luxemburg. Yeah. Yep, uh, Everyone's in Love and Flowers Pick Themselves from 2003. They're from Worcester and they were on very hip undergroove records at the time. They had two other EPs, one of which ended up being self-released, which I was surprised with because I thought they were big enough to get a label for pretty much anything they did. Um, Mathy kind of gonzo post-hardcore stuff that swings from piano segments to fucking double kick stuff is... Uh, very, very. Reminds me of the Blood Brothers in some ways. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a bit closer to stuff like Take a Worm for a Walk Week. It was maybe just a little yeah. bit less overdriven, uh, a little bit less gainy. Um. Todd Terry, now I don't know if you're familiar with Todd Terry, this one blew my mind, okay, so Todd Terry's actually a pretty highly rated electronic musician and producer, uh, he, he co-wrote the song Candy with Robbie Williams and he's worked with Franz Ferdinand and stuff, he's got dozens of singles and remixes and EPs and compilations, he's only got one album and it's called It's Album Time, funnily mm-hmm. enough, from 2014, it's got some really cool stuff in it, um, I don't like all of it but it's got a couple of particularly good, uh, there's one called DeLorean... Something that's that's a great track. He was one of the main acts at Sonar that year that this album came out, and Coachella, and the Pitchfork Festival, uh, and I think he placed something like number 17 in Rolling Stone magazine's DJs That Rule the Earth list, mm-hmm. which is like, when you consider who else was on that list, and he only brought out this one record, it was an astonishing explosion of interest in this guy, and then he's just never really followed up, I mean that's nearly 10 years since that album, very good chance he'll do another one, but for the time being, he qualifies. Um, band we've mentioned before, Heavens to Betsy, the album yeah, Calculated, yeah, went on to be in Slater Kinney. Um, technically, they actually had an eponymous album, but it was only released in a cassette in 1992, so I think I can kind of almost get away with that one. Um, I mentioned Foe. Uh, who are now on the record club the album Arm Yourself with Clairvoyance They were a trio, guitar, bass, baritone, guitar, drums, kind of mixing about uh, on House of Stairs, kind of did this instrumental jazzy, mathy, heavy stuff classed in with bands like Art of Burning Water and American Heritage. Well, there's another band that I always kind of mentally associated with them, and it's a band called The Flu-Id. So it's theflu.id, 
which makes it very fucking hard to Google. But they had an album called IOTS, so I-O-T-S, that maybe helps a bit. And they got comparisons to like Circle Takes a Square and Kylesa because they had the sort of male-female vocal trade-off. Very heavy and proggy, at times a bit like Neurosis mixed with Dillinger Escape Plan. Really, really good band. Only ever did one record, as far as I can tell, unless they had a subsequent band name that was even harder to Google. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to finish that category, a few from Glasgow that need a mention uh, Lapsus Lingue. We're not going to talk about them long because we are definitely doing an episode about them. They had, well, it was technically only a mini album, but You Got Me Fresh uh, in 2006. Um, 2003, actually. Jesus, it was ages ago. Uh, De Salvo. Mm-hmm. noise rock band uh, with the album Mood Poisoner I noticed by the way when I looked them up just to check they're classed as metalcore which is fucking hilarious and I'm sure nobody would find it funnier than DeSalvo themselves uh, Lost Leader one man sort of gothic electronic metal project I have to declare a vested interest here because my label back in the day put this out Absolutely fucking brilliant. The project imploded under the the mania of its uh, central figure, let's just say that. Um, And an album that we've featured in a number of Christmas specials and in the record club, The Checker by The Checker. A band who is fucking criminal that they've only done one record and I'm very hopeful that perhaps they might sometime do another. One, this might fall in this category or not, but Schweinbilder. Uh-huh. Is that Dale Crover? Yeah, Dale Crover and Scott Kelly. The former Scott Kelly from Neurosis. <laughs> they only did one record and it could have been a it could have been a, a kind of continuing project, but it never seemed to become anything more than just yeah. one album. It's one of those projects that had massive interest. I remember when it was touring, everybody was wanting to go to it. Yeah. When we interviewed Steve on it was always about his most recent record and Neurosis were obviously going through some things at that point that, yeah. that were completely un that nobody knew about, right? By the way, listeners we interviewed Steve Wintel. Yeah. <laughs> Go yeah. back and listen, it's good. So when we interviewed him, um, Neurosis had been kind of in stasis for a little while and nobody could quite understand really why. And 
in retrospect, Steve was a little bit cagey when talking about some of the some of the Neurosis stuff. And I just thought it's because he was here to really talk about his new record and he was really hyped about that, probably part of that. I don't want to, I don't want to try and assume too much about psych, about the psychic is psychic state, it's psychological state then. <laughs> um but it was really interesting how soon afterwards when all the stuff with Scott Kelly came out and Neurosis saying, Yeah, we've known about it for ages, we've been trying to fucking sort this out and issues were unable to be fixed, you know. Trying to read between the lines of that old interview. I'd have to go back and re listen. Yeah, it's I, I quite certainly interesting in that context. I didn't suspect any at the time. Now, as I mentioned, there's a little bit of crossover between category one and category two. Category one being bands who seemed like legitimate projects who just didn't last, and category two being sort of side projects or collaborations. Um, I would say that Team Sleep maybe falls. Yeah, I was going to say that in uh-huh. between the space in between the cushions there from 2005. By the way, I couldn't believe that it was 2005 that Team Sleep came out. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already mentioned Gratitude. We've already mentioned Rape Man. I think both of those are sort of somewhere in between there. Uh, another one, Derek and the Dominoes, yeah. 1970. Yeah. Layla and other assorted love songs, their only release. Very influential record and again one of those one of those bands that seem to have so much mass and, and popularity that you always imagine there's more, but there's, there's not. It's just yeah, that one record. Yeah. Very obscure one here, uh, Metallic Falcons and an album called Desert Donuts. Sierra Cassidy, she was half of the band Coco Rosie, it was two sisters, so Sierra Cassidy and uh, Mattia Baim, it was kind of an abstract album, this lo-fi soundscapey stuff, and it, it seemed like it was intended to be a full project, but in hindsight, maybe it was just a little dalliance, it's, it's really hard to tell, and there's not a hell of a lot of information out there about it, it's a really interesting album, pretty esoteric though. Uh, and then I think the last one that falls between the gaps there is Lovage. Music to Make Love to Your Old Lady by the album. Yeah. That's Dan the Automator, Kid Koala, along with Mike Patton and uh, Jennifer Charles from Elysium Fields and Fetus. Yeah, I think um, in the same vein with some of the same people as Peep and Tom as well. Dan the Automator's yep. on a few of those songs. That's right. Kid Koala's on a few of those songs as well. And when it came out at the time, it was quite hyped up because it was Matt, it was Mike Patton doing his version of pop and, and with Razel, the beatboxer. Been part of that, yeah. yeah he did a lot with us. Yeah. He had an entire album. Yeah, there was um, a lot of anticipation for the record, and it, it does. It's got fucking Nora Jones in it for fuck's sake. She was, she was quite big at that, <laughs> at wild, that point. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, which is super weird. And she's like, she's really off the chain and really out of character on her and that song that she's on, which makes it even more surprising and fun. That's a really 
sleazy crimey record man. it is yeah but it is really good and gives you the ick it totally does I think that's the whole point of it though right because <laughs> Mike Patton is really good at giving people the ick yeah <laughs> I always thought there'd be more and I think he did say around about the time there might have been more but it's never never materialised so was it just a side project was it something that might go on seems like a side project for now but you never know with Mike Patton that's true he, he resurrected Mr Bungle at nothing so so this seems like a good moment for us to throw in one of our uh, more in detail cuts Mark do you want to go first or roll I can go first, I guess, yeah. Uh-huh. Don't hit me. Um, this falls in between probably the side project and the it being a going concern thing, if mm-hmm. it wasn't just for the circumstances. Gotcha. So one of the ones that I picked was uh, An A Million Pieces by The Draft. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty fucking obvious you're going to be a fan of this album yeah, as soon as you put it on. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Um, but I didn't actually come to this record until much later because okay. um, I, I got to I, I got to hot, hot water music a little bit later. Then I probably so who's in it? So this is basically George Rebello, Chris Willard, and fuck Jason Black. Fuck Jason Black. <laughs> Sorry, Jason Black. <laughs> One of the best bass players in punk rock from hot water music. And I can't remember the other guitar player's name, but basically, uh, Chuck left to go and pursue to go and spend time with his family and pursue a solo career in 2006. So they had a, hi- a hiatus. That's right, yeah. But I think Chris Willard and Jason Black and George Rebello, they still wanted to do some stuff. They still wanted to be a band. And they came out with this record, um, which is pretty much just Chris, it's just like Chris Willard on his own, really, like as a song, a sole songwriter. It has hints of like hot water music sound. Can't can't get it. Can't deny that the album before this for hot water music was in the new one next. And the album before that was was caution, which which were the two kind of poppy record. Well, the new one next actually quite a hard heavy record compared to what they've usually done. But they became kind of a, a, a lot more melodic and accessible. Not more melodic, they've always been melodic. More accessible with caution. But up until that point, Chris was always seen as the one who was writing the hookier songs and Chuck was the one that was writing the, the, the ragers, the kind of more angular kind of stuff. Right, yeah. Um, so it makes sense. In the, in the context of all that, it really, when Chuck came back from his solo career, he's now writing the more hooky stuff because he's, there's a lot more Springsteen-infused kind of melodic country stuff, old country stuff, Americana stuff going on now. But all that, all that melodic power... Seems to have been distilled into this one record. So there's, there's songs in this record which would never been a hot water music record ever, and there's songs which would quite easily and probably did come from other hot water music records at some point, or were, were maybe written when the band were together. Is this is this album big on that scene? Is it? Does it? No, break? it's kind of it's kind of been forgotten and floated, and you know, and you know, Chris Willard later went on to do the Ship Thieves, which then became Chris Willard and the Ship Thieves, which was like his side project, which is a full band, and um, not with any members of hot water music in it actually. This record often gets overlooked because I remember when it came out at the time, it was a, it was a big deal. I remember reading about it in Krang and all that. It was, it was a big deal. It was like, oh yeah, hot water music are dead, but the draft are here and they've got this new album and a million pieces. Which 
is the only thing they've ever, ever released and wrote together. So far. Yeah, so far. And Do you think they're likely to make it redundant uh, in terms of this list by doing a second album? I don't point? think it's possible, to be honest, because they, they seem to have found a, a, a place where they can not even go on hiatus anymore. They've, they've did what a lot of grown-up bands do, is just maybe just stop doing stuff as a band for a while, for like five, six years, and go and do other things, yeah, and then yeah. come back and just do it. Get, you know? the, get the passion back, recharge yeah. the batteries. So Chris, like I said, Chris did the Ship Thieves. And that's like his side project now. I don't think this is ever going to get revisited as a going concern, which is a shame because I think it's a really interesting record, especially in the context of the whole world of music at the time. What I, what I think's quite interesting, I mean, the first track, New Eyes Open. It's a, probably one of the best songs the whole world of music never wrote. Yeah, well, <laughs> he, he sings the line, that's what I like about it, it's not so complicated. <laughs> and I was like, you've pretty much nailed that position there. Yeah. It's a very simple formula. It does a lot of things by that formula, but it does them fairly well, mm-hmm. as you will probably know. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of things in this record that I've heard a hundred times, but done well. Yeah, because a lot of the things you've heard done a hundred times are, are things that they, they were doing and yeah. influencing other bands to do, you know, back then. Yeah. Um, you know, I recently got hooked on this YouTube series, and yeah, sometimes you just end up, you watch something and then it throws another one back at you and it throws another one back at you, right? So I got in, I got into watching this YouTube series about this boy in his house that reviews beer. Okay. <laughs> I don't even drink a lot of beer. I don't give a fuck about beer, really, that much. But he reviews beer and he's a bit of a gammon, this guy. And <laughs> some of the best episodes are where he's, like, one of them, his neighbours hoovering her grass and he's like, she's fucking hoovering her grass. And another one, he's talking about how the council are going to do him for fly tipping. All the while trying to like YouTube channel. <laughs> all the while trying to compare Cobra to Kingfisher or whatever the fuck it is, right? I mean, literally, and I just, I just can't stop watching this guy, right? But I think fundamentally, I'm watching it and I'm just thinking about how beer is just ultimately it's just bacteria piss, right? It's like a means to an end. It's sugar fermented. But yeah, one yeah. is as good as the other. I can't really tell the difference. This guy is obsessed with the difference. I think some of it's bullshit. I think a lot of times, like, oh, oh, musky, it's got some burtonization in the water there. <laughs> to be honest, as with beer, what one is basically as good as the other, if you know what I mean. And I feel a wee bit like that about this style of music. I think this is well done, but I think I would struggle to tell it apart from a lot of other things. I'm sure with your more refined emo mm. palette, you are able to tell it in a blind test, no problem. Um, some of the things that did stand out, both for good and bad, like the third one, Let It Go, is kind of scan. I, yeah. thought, I thought that was a bit rotten. You would never ever get away with that in a hot water music. Yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> I same. I don't like ska. So yeah, the fifth one, bordering, is quite nice. It's yeah, romantic it's cool. and mm. pretty impassioned in its delivery. Some nice keys in it, which you would never get in hot water music either, you know, and, and that actually gives it that romantic feel. Yeah. Um, and it works really well. 
It's it's not super catchy, but it's got a really nice lead guitar hook as well, which mm-hmm. which Chris was really good at writing. You know, um, not what I want to do. That seemed like a pretty effective hooky wee song as well. So what you're saying is that for folks that are into that kind of hot water music, Gasly, Anthony, sort of like gruff, emo meets cow punky, whatever, like... Org core. <laughs> org core. <laughs> Let's call it that. That This is a totally uh, respectable entry into that canon. I think it's a really interesting... Yeah, I mean, I, I like it more as a as a, as an excursion from hot water music because, like I said, it takes some risks that they would never have got away with. The song out of tune, for example, actually feels a bit like Jimmy World. There's a more emo feeling. It's got harmonised backing vocals and an organ. Yeah, I, I can, I can see that. Yeah. Um, all we can count on is got a hell of an open line. All we can count on is death, which is brilliant. All we can count on is death, but over and over again, there's a pill to swallow. Um, it's got a bit of glockenspiel in it as well. Again, would never fly in, in hot water music. And the long shot actually sounds like it might have came off the new what next. It's got that kind of heaviness to it. But I think it's a really nice curio. You know, if you, if you like this kind of music and you're not really familiar with this record, I think you'd find a lot to love on it. But I do genuinely believe that New Eyes Open is one of the best songs anybody in hot water music yeah. has ever written. And it's just, it's always stuck in my head whenever I hear it. And it's dead simple. I think th- sometimes horror music could overcomplicate things by going for like a really and in- really interesting and dynamic guitar parts playing off each other, and maybe the maybe the vocal melody not getting as much attention as it could. The this fact the fact that it's first on here suggests that they knew that. Yeah, absolutely. that was the point 100%. they were making. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, my one. Let's see which of the three will I go for. I will. I'll go controversial. I'll go for USSA. Okay. The spoils for two thousand and seven. Hard fucking record to track down, Mark, isn't it? It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. So this is Paul Barker. on YouTube. <laughs> this is Paul Barker of Ministry and Dwayne Dennison and the Jesus Lizard Tomahawk and more. Uh, plus a vocalist called Gary Call and a drummer called Johnny Rab. Oh, I, th- I, th- I thought that Paul Barker did vocals on it. See, it's hard to find out about this band. Well, Gary Call is a vocalist on it. Um, USSA, I think, is named after a butthole surfer's tune of the same mm-hmm. name as well. Although uh, there was a USSA band in the mid 80s from Chicago that featured members of Cheap Trick and stuff like oh, that. It's not them, surprisingly. <laughs> um, the Spoils was recorded in 2006, released the following year. By the way, Johnny Rab held for some time the title of WFD World's Fastest Drummer at Extreme Sport Drumming. He played cool. 1,071 strokes in 60 seconds. Wow, how do you even do, how do, you even do that? Yeah, you it? don't hear that in this record. It's yeah. not at all that kind of drumming. He's a very solid drummer. Sorry, 
who uh, it definitely has tomahawk and Jesus lizard similarities. Uh, the Barker industrial element brings a bit of killing joke to proceedings as well. Uh, Dwayne Dennison has described the record as falling, quote, somewhere between Motorhead and Radiohead. Yeah. yeah. This album scratches an itch for people who were furious at the third Tomahawk record Anonymous, the one where they started going off and doing all these Native American inspired tracks of absolute fucking madness. Mm. I remember buying that album and I remember taking it back raging. Let's be honest, the record lacks a panache of Mike Patton and the drummer is I mean, he's clearly a very good drummer but he's no Stanier, no John Stanier Stanier's. Uh, he, he doesn't ha- like, John Stanier's got a very idiosyncratic style Uh, and even just the drums that he chooses and stuff, the actual instruments as well are, are quite distinct. So it's not got that level of personality. But given what those guys did to Tomahawk <laughs> for no fucking good reason, I'm inclined to accept this as a compromise. Mm. This is some prime Dwayne Dennison guitar work on it. And Definitely, it'd be, yeah. It would be interesting to know if this in some way served as an outlet for his ideas because it came out only about eight months prior to that dodgy as fuck Tomahawk third record, which had almost no riffs on it at all. Some of the reviews of this are frankly pretty fucking stupid. There's one in CMJ uh, that says, plays like a cleaned up retrospective of modern rock cliches flooded with misguided cock rock swagger. I mean, honestly, what the fuck is that reviewer even talking about? Like, if you're not going to engage with the music, why the fuck are you actually reviewing it? Because it just sounds like they either forgot to listen and handed in the review late or just have absolutely no grounding or alternative stuff. I don't know what the fuck they're getting at there. Um, and I think that sort of muted response and a general apathy to this incarnation of this group seems to have sunk it and seems to have sunk the whole project because it seemed pretty legit. You know, it's they've put a lot into this record, but that said, it's not on Spotify and it's it came out in 2007. It's not like from the fucking early 90s it's not even on YouTube in a segmented form it's yeah. just one big fucking piece and you have to look at the time code to get the track names I actually came across it by accident in a charity sh- store and I didn't even know it existed so I was fucking stunned uh, in terms of the highlights of it uh, the tracks the first one Dead Voices is pretty strong Maybe not the most bombastic opener. Second one, however, Autumn Flowers has bang on the same energy as some of the best cuts for the first two Tomahawk Definitely. records. Even though even the vocals make Patton esque on that. It song. is, yeah, yeah. Autumn flowers in midnight bloom. April showers in the month of June. The, the arrangement of it reminds me of those really standout Tomahawk tracks like uh, When the Stars Begin to Fall or God Hates a Coward. With loads of energy in the in, in the vocal and the ver uh, the chorus, it's it's right on Tomahawk. It's and as brave an attempt as Gary Cole makes, 
it's impossible to not hear it done by Mike Patton in your head as it's as it's playing. Totally. And it does seem like that was basically Gary Cole's remit. Do Mike. And again, that never really hurt Greg Pichetto, did it? Nah. So, <laughs> um, the fourth track, Cruel Beauty, is equally choppy in the verse. But the that vote, riff is creepy as fuck, man. I yeah, really there's like some it. really eerie riffs in this, yeah. The vocal opens right up and has a slightly more anthemic chorus. Which again is reminiscent of a couple of the Tomahawk tracks where the chorus is really just him bellowing out. It's talking about eerie. The sixth track, Summer Endless Summer, is a fucking creepy, itchy wee fucking track. Lack of a pattern vocal hog in the limelight, though, it kind of gives the rest of the music a bit more room to breathe. Yeah, because you know how Mike Patton's vocals could be so stylized and distracting. Mike uh, Patton's always going to be Mike Patton. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it has a really sickeningly unorthodox chord progression in it as well. Like you're saying, it's like it's a slightly nauseating chord progression that they've chosen. It drops down into a really unnerving bass part as well. Uh, and just a couple more standout moments. The seventh track, Forget Yourself, slams straight in with this really high octane riff. This could easily have opened the album, I think, probably with more bombast than Dead Voices. And it sounds like something from the blue era, Jesus Lizard. You know, that's a kind of quite a maligned era in Jesus Lizard because they were on a major label and people like Albini had written them off and stuff. But there's some great music from that era. Um, and then the 8th track, Cab Ride, an absolutely fucking class bass line. And it, it's probably the first time that this album doesn't sound like Tomahawk. It really just sounds like something else. Actually, maybe even sounds a little bit closer to Queens of Stone Age, given that. Yeah, some that of the vocal line. reminds me of that as well. Like Dead Voices actually does remind me of like a moody Queens of the Stone Age. Um, um, so look, basically, in case it's not yet obvious, given how many times I've said the name, this is the great Tomahawk album that should have been, in my opinion. Is it as good as Tomahawk? No, but it's not far off them in some places. I really don't think it is. Uh, it, it never quite gets as high as their best bits, mm. but also. It never gets as low as their worst bits. Yeah. Gary Cole, I think, in particular, had impossibly big shoes to fill, try to do Mike Patton 
And Johnny Rab, likewise, he's got a pretty unenviable task trying to pacify the John Stenier superfans. But both of them make a really good attempt. Um, Dennison is in great form and Paul Barker's playing and writing don't make you miss Kevin Rootmanis at all. So, aye, I, I think I'd love to get this back on people's radar. It's, it's stupid that it's so obscure. It, I, I don't know why they've allowed it to be so hard to find as well, because it's a great piece of work. And yeah, yeah, it should be out there. I mean, I, I know card-carrying Jesus Lizard devotees that do not know this exists, and I was one of them until a few years ago. Mm. I, I was really surprised by the record. I, I, like, I like the guitar tones on it, the bass tones on it, both sublime. The vocal does, yeah, reminisce Mike Patton and in places Josh Holm too, I think. But yeah, I was given that I knew who was in it. I wasn't expecting it to be quite like this, but mm-hmm. it's quite a nice record. Good. Eh? Yes, you know what? Hold the phone. One of the features of this episode is that there's going to be a lot of music getting cut into it, so that's a lot to digest. Um, so I think what we might do is just take a break there. Uh, we'll come back with category two of the list. And between us, we've got another four choices. Four fucking records. Four records to, to dig into. And maybe, you know, you can digest some of the, the names that have been thrown up already. And in the interim, you can come up with more. And perhaps we'll get to them, perhaps we won't. Go and uh, investigate some of the records that we've just mentioned. Especially, you Jesus Lizard fans, uh, the USSA album and the draft. Yep. We'll talk into your ears next week. See you then.